The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host, and today I'm delighted to welcome back my good friend for his weekly show, Dr. Peter Hammond. I'm going to bring him up right now. Peter, are you with me? Yes, I am. Thank you very much, Andrew. Excellent. Well, it's wonderful to have you back, and I know I can say that on behalf of our great audience. Now, what Peter's got for us today is the real story of the war against fathers families and the future so where would you like to start us off with this today peter to try and make sense of the chaos around us and uh, the very bizarre things going on um it's important i think to realize that we are in a war it's a world war of worldviews, and it seems that one of the most foundational enemies, uh, one of the most despised villains in the eyes of the New World Order and the Hollywood uh, uh, mass media, so-called entertainment uh, exploitation, I should say, industry, has been the father. And uh, it's incredible how much fathers are exposed to ridicule. And it's uh, fathers being described as Hollywood's most despised villain. Uh, Patriarchy is hated. Paternalism which used to be a positive word because it means fatherly, is now a swear word to the liberal left. Fatherly used to be a most positive term, but not anymore. And Morgan, uh, Robin Morgan, the editor of MS Magazine, Ms. Magazine wrote, I feel that hating men is an honorable and viable political act. Hating men. Uh, Linda Gordon wrote, families must be destroyed and people must find better ways of living together. The breakup of families is an objective, revolutionary process. And I think that's what we need to understand. This is part of the revolution because the issue is never the issue. The issue is actually the revolution. And whether it's the gender confusion, whether it's this transgender uh, participation in women's sports, uh, whether you are talking about BLM uh, or uh, whatever the new thing is, it, it, it's never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. And so whether they talk about climate change, global warming, whatever it is, uh, again and again, you always find that the solution that they offer to whatever the problem is, is always you've got to give up more of your freedoms, uh, more of the Bill of Rights have got to be trampled on or or suspended, and uh, that government and some super international 
conglomerates, uh, whether we're talking about big business, big pharma, big tech, or big government, are meant to take over more and more of our lives, and we become less and less free and more and more slaves. And to do this, they seem to have targeted families, because, yes, destroying families is part of an objectively revolutionary process, dead serious. So the Organization of Women in America, OWA, declared marriage constitutes slavery. We must concentrate on attacking this institution of marriage. Freedom for women cannot be won without the abolition of marriage. It is important for us to encourage women to leave their husbands and not to live with men. All of history must be rewritten in terms of oppression of women. We must go back to ancient female religions like witchcraft. Uh, that's the whole quote from the Organization of Women. Uh, can you imagine? I would have thought marriage provides the best respect and protection and provision and sanctuary for women. And yet now they're saying marriage constitutes slavery. And what you've got to do is break up marriage, break up the family, and have women, instead of being in Christianity, which has raised the status of women worldwide immeasurably, uh, go back to witchcraft. Like That's meant to be uh, liberation, so they say. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, declared the best thing you can do with a baby boy is kill it. Dead serious. Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood. Best thing you can do for a baby boy is kill it. The radical feminists declare a man's role is uncertain, undefined, and unnecessary. A man's role. You don't need men for anything. Well, what about part of procreating the human race? How long is the human race going to last if you don't have men? Uh, or women for that matter. So don't we need both? Maleness, this is a quote, maleness is an accidental recessive mutation. It is abnormal. It bodes no good for the human race. So males are some kind of uh, abnormal mutation, recessive at that. So it's negative. Then when the first man walked on the moon, uh, one of these feminists made the statement, which was repeated again and again, Putting one man on the moon was a good start. We now should put all the men on the moon and then turn off the oxygen. I mean, what, what they're saying, kill all the men, basically. Uh, just another way of saying what uh, Margaret Sanger said. Gloria Steinem, another famous feminist, said, women need a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Well, we know fish don't need bicycles. So in other words, women don't need men. Now, there was a time when Father Knows Best was a popular TV program. And that was a very long time ago. Now, most films portray fathers as knowing nothing at all, and even the dog in Beethoven, which is a very family-friendly Disney-type film, even the dog, the St. Bernard dog, is more intelligent and has more business perceptivity than the father does. So, uh, and, and that's a family-friendly film. Uh, and many others, the, the father's uh, absolutely evil. So social scientists have proved that this long war against fathers has actually produced catastrophic social consequences. The vast majority of the prison inmates come from fatherless homes. Children brought up in broken homes with abusive or absentee fathers or born out of wedlock and raised by single mothers are much more at risk for failure at school or involvement in drugs or drunkenness or depression or sexual promiscuity, gender confusion, gangs, crime, violence. Now, of course, not all. You know, we, we do have exceptions and praise God for them. And there's some uh, single mothers who do spectacular work, uh, but uh, against all odds. But that's the point. It's against all odds. The general uh, overwhelming majority 
of uh, children broken or single homes uh, do suffer, and they're far more at risk of these destructive behaviors. So the social engineering disaster of government programs subsidizing sin and funding unwed mothers has led to social disintegration. I mean, just take my wife was brought up in Austria and she went to an Austrian reunion party. I forget if it was the 30th or the 40th uh, anniversary. And uh, she found she was the only person there, the only woman in her class who was married and married to the same man who's the uh, father of her children, that all of her children have the same father. And uh, part of the explanation for this disastrous state affairs is that the laws in Austria and many other countries penalize uh, marriage and uh, uh, encourage, financially encourage uh, people to live together without getting married because the taxation is far harsher for married people living in the same home than for two single people living together and so on. So uh, there's been that encouragement. And I've seen this all over the place. And you get places like in America where one case was documented of three generations of women living in a single household who had never done any work. The grandmother was 28, the mother was 14, and there was a baby. So there were three generations of females who had never done a day's work. They were living together, and they were all subsidized by American so-called social welfare. And this is catastrophic. So whatever a government subsidizes, you get more of. Uh, Ronald Reagan once said, in my hearing, that uh, government philosophy is if it works, tax it. If it doesn't work, subsidize it. And unfortunately, that's not a joke. That's actually the way it works. Whatever government subsidize, you get more of. And by a socialist state usurping the role of fathers, paying young girls for falling pregnant out of wedlock, we now have many millions of single parent homes with all of the juvenile delinquency that goes along with that. Now, I just take, for example, Walter Williams, and Thomas Sowell, both black Americans, have written books like The State Against Blacks, where they document that American uh, black families, uh, African-American families, were more intact than white families before the social welfare program in the 60s. So by 1960, something like 96% of black children in America were born in a, a two-parent home with father and mother intact, married together in the same household. And in fact, Divorce was rarer amongst blacks than it was amongst whites. Uh, that's back in 1960. But by the end of the 60s and going through 70s and 80s, things have moved to such a situation that right now, the vast majority of black children are born in single parent homes without even any contact with the father and in many cases, not even knowing who the father is. And it's, it's actually quite catastrophic. Children brought up in a single parent home are more at risk for every criminal behavior and on average, they live shorter lives. Uh, in fact, four years less on average than those raised in an intact family with both parents at home. And while there are some exemplary mothers who have succeeded in raising their children on their own against all odds, uh, take Dr. Ben Carson, for example, who was raised in a single parent home, and he grew to be a brain surgeon and, uh, in fact, was in Trump's cabinet. And uh, Ben Carson said the best thing you can do for anyone on welfare is get them off it. He saw welfare as... as destructive of work ethic and integrity and every form of social cohesion. So socialism comes and seeks to usurp the role of God and to refashion society by redefining marriage and by removing fathers in particular from the equation. So hostility to the fatherhood of God, I believe, is behind this continual attack on fathers by the secular humanist media, 
by socialist governments and by welfare agencies. And tragically, many men have given up and drifted away from their God-given duties and their responsibilities. Social studies confirm that the more involved a father is in the life of his children, the more successful a child will be in every area of life, and the longer they will also live, actually. So personal relationships of duty and parental responsibility are the bedrock of civilization. So Karl Marx, the founder of communism, declared, to make a country communist, you need to turn the children against the fathers. So the denigration of dads has wreaked havoc on families and society. And the war against masculinity in the West since the 1960s in particular has resulted in the catastrophic decline of marriages, plummeting birth rates, and more singles than ever before. I mean, just think that at the time of the Anglo-Boer War, the average Boer woman was having 14 children. In fact, in the case of uh, Paul Kruger's wife, she had had 17 children. And so you can imagine the concentration camps of the Rothschilds in the genocide of the Boers in the Anglo-Boer War uh, were catastrophic because they wiped out about a third of all the women and children uh, in the Boer republics of the Transvaal Free State. Uh, and the destructionist was, I know a family, for example, where uh, the grandmother was one of only two survivors of a family of 11 in the concentration camp. So that kind of devastation of the uh, childbearing uh, population, and you, you think of the bombing of the cities of Germany with two million people being killed, mostly uh, women and children, uh, in, in the uh, saturation bombing of cities like Berlin and Cologne and Hamburg and Dresden and so on, uh, that what this did to destroy the, uh, actually the Hu European white race, because uh, after the Second World War, it became more common for a uh, the average woman to have 1.2 children on average. So instead of having six or seven as they were having before the Second World War, or eight to 12 as they were having before the First World War, uh, it's more likely that a woman's going to have several abortions and adopt a dog or some foreign migrant uh, than actually uh, marrying and, and having a, a child of their own race and civilization. So the, the situation is catastrophic. In fact, the situation is uh, genocidal. We, what we are seeing is the great replacement in many parts of Europe where, uh, for example, back in 1960, I believe there were only 30,000 Muslims in all of Great Britain less than 30,000. And now 61 years later, uh, there's millions of Muslims in, in Great Britain. And uh, uh, more uh, people came into Britain in the year 2010, than in that one year, than had come into uh, Great Britain between 1066 and 1960 combined. So, I mean, just, just think about the demographic uh, a revolution that, that we're talking about here. So it's an absolute disaster. And Karl Marx said, to make a country communist, you have to turn fathers against uh, children against their fathers. So along with uh, feminism's war against femininity, you get someone like Ty Grace Atkinson. She said, feminism is the theory. Lesbianism is the practice. Women must become disgusted with every aspect of femininity. You must become a lesbian to be fully feminist. So that's what Ty Grace Atkinson, a key feminist leader, said. So to become a real feminist, you've got to become a lesbian. So when people think of feminism, I mean, I remember thinking, feminism, I'm all for it. Well, 
actually what is femininity, you know, we love women being feminine, but feminism is the very opposite of femininity. It's actually anti-femininity. It's anti-woman. It's anti-marriage. It's, it's anti-God. So you had Charlotte Gilman saying, housewives are parasites with aspirations of a guinea pig. So, I mean, imagine that, that there's feminists who denigrate the very uh, role of being a mother, a homemaker, um, raising next generation. Kate Lombard said Mother's Day is sexist. Well, I thought appreciating mothers would be a good thing, but apparently not. Vivian Gornick said being a housewife is an illegitimate profession. Now, the same feminists believe that prostitution should be legalized. So prostitution is legitimate, but being what they call a housewife or a homemaker is not a legitimate profession. Uh, Louis Farrakhan said all white men go to hell. White men are termites, insects that need to be exterminated. That's the word Louis Farrakhan used, exterminated. Now, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We just think multi-generationally. We must leave a legacy for our children, our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. We need to leave them with a better standard and a better purpose and a better vision, a better mission, a better world, a better work ethic. And the reason is you have one Father in heaven. And the Lord Jesus taught us that when we to pray, we to pray our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven. The Apostles' Creed declares, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So the fatherhood of God is probably behind the New World Order's hatred of fathers in general, because it reflects something of the character of God. One of the great biographies of a convert from Islam is, I dared to call him father. I remember reading this as a new Christian. Begum Bilkris Sheikh was a Pakistani woman who wrote of a conversion to Christ in this classic book, I Dared to Call Him Father, meaning God. And this is published in 1978. This best-selling autobiography has remained one of the most popular Muslim to Christianity conversion books of the 20th century, translated into numerous languages. And as she explained, as uh, Begum Sheikh explained it, there are 99 names for God in the Quran, but Father is not one of them. Indeed, it is unique to Christianity that God is revealed as a loving Father who teaches, disciplines, provides, and protects his children. Fathers are called to love and teach and disciple and provide for and protect their wives and children. In 1 Timothy 5.8, we read, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and he is worse than an infidel, worse than an unbeliever. Reformer Professor Martin Luther taught parenthood is the true school of discipleship. He said he learned more in one year of parenthood than he learned in 10 years in the monastery. And there's no love so unselfish and so sacrificial as that of a parent, said Martin Luther. Professor Martin Luther also taught no man can remain single without sin. And a man who refused to marry is, is if he had shed innocent blood. I mean, that, that's what Luther taught. He, he said he puts the family at the center of the universe, he says, uh, and parents are vital. Of course, it's not only a command to be fruitful and multiply, but it's essential for the preservation and survival of any race. The abortion Holocaust not only has killed millions of babies, but many more millions of their potential descendants. So we're talking about a war against God, a war against men, a war against masculinity, a war against fathers, and this is only part of a broader war against the family, the war against Christian civilization, and ultimately a war against God. And obviously, 
that particular hatred is those whom God has chosen, those who are God's people, those who are the true Israel of God, those who are of the faith of Christ, those who are born again, are the real children of Abraham. And there is a particular hatred against the real children of God. And those who are the ones propagating the faith historically, the people and the nations who have been the most active in missions and evangelism and ending the slave trade and ending cannibalism and inter-tribal genocidal warfares and bringing schools and civilization and modern medicine and the Bible uh, throughout the world. There's a real hatred for those nations, those peoples, uh, and particularly the male members of them. So feminism is part of the war against men and fathers and families and the faith and the future. And so is pornography. And feminism and pornography actually work together to undermine the fathers and the husbands who are the producers, the providers, the protectors who pay the bills, who pay the bonds, who provide the backbone of any economy and society. So by discouraging lifelong marriage partnerships, all of society is actually unraveled. Civilization is not built by wild geese bachelors riding off into the sunset, uh, leaving a trail of broken relationships in their wake. Anchoring men into loving marriage relationships, partnerships, committed to raising the next generation in stable households, that is what makes stable communities, and that's what makes productive economies work. And my father described how Britain used to be uh, before the Second World War, that you could have newspapers piled up at the street corner with a hat there with change in, and people would walk past, pick up the newspaper, uh, put money in, take change, and, and people were honest. You didn't need supervision. You could... You could uh, literally have a farm stall, as I've seen even in Switzerland recently. You could be driving in the Alps and there's a farm stall with a whole lot of different materials there that you can buy. And there's a box for you to put the money in. And uh, there's the prices are displayed. And there's nobody supervising. There's no cameras. It's just, uh, you know, it's an honor system, a, a trust system. And, and that's possible in a society that's, that's predominantly Christian and which has Christian ethic and work ethic. But... As communist revolutionary Karl Marx declared, to make a country communist, you need to turn the children against their fathers. How do they do this? By seducing men, by distracting them with pornography, by rejecting them through feminism, by replacing them with socialism. Women today have less respect, less protection than probably any time in history. Children are denied the security and stability an intact family can produce, and women are raped and abused in so many different ways all over the world. As Christian civilization has retreated and as men have abdicated their responsibilities, feminism has been a disaster for women. It's left women carrying the baby without the protection and provision and all uh, that uh, loving marriage and uh, a providing, protecting, guiding husband can provide. And the modern secular humanist schooling system, or should we call it the indoctrination gulag, is also a war against masculinity. The entire school system is rigged and it doesn't take boys long to realize that the system is biased against masculinity. Many respond in frustration and rebellion and dropping out and turning to video games and drugs and drink and gangs. Um, I saw immediately with my children how differently they learn. I've got two girls and two boys and the the girls were actually natural students. They you, You'd give them their schoolwork, uh, we homeschooled our children and uh, you know, we began to feel like some of the most successful, outstanding parents and home educators in the world, uh, the way how our girls were so diligent and 
sitting in their desks and working through the assignments and producing good results. But when it came to the boys, well, they didn't want to sit quietly in a desk and work just through books. They wanted to climb and explore and fight and play and uh, out in the jungle gym and the parks and on the mountains. And boys don't learn the same way as girls. And when you've got a whole school system that's geared for only the way the feminine works, then you get the boys and girls grow up quicker as well uh, at, at school. So you regularly have the boys being um, beaten up by the girls to get the better marks and uh, uh, treated better in the school. And so the boys quickly feel like losers, failures, dropouts, delinquents. And uh, when they're treated like this and they're abused as well, and then you get the feminist attitude and you get the hostility that comes from Hollywood and all the different uh, pressures it's not surprising so many males have just dropped out. And of course, it's tragic. They shouldn't accept it. But consider how much safer and cleaner and better the world was under Christian leadership and under Protestant work ethic. I mean, you just look back at art or you look at some of the early films uh, going back when you, you would see New York or London, completely white, English, European, uh, Christian uh, neat, no litter, no pollution, no graffiti, uh, law abiding, and so on and so forth, not needing hordes of police, police not needing to be carrying firearms, uh, where society was law abiding, respecting life and property. You, know, you look back and you get a glimpse in the past and think, you know, that actually was normal. The way we're living right now is not normal. This is not normal. And for people to speak about the new normal is such a lie. So consider how much safer the world was before secular humanism and situation ethics, and radical feminism, and pornography, and abortion, and the LGBTQ gender confusion, transgender politics came in, and affirmative action, and uh, BBM, and the, the, the whole uh, Black Lives Matter, and social engineering. This has all made life less safe, less stable, more violent, more volatile. The issue is never the issue. The real issue is the revolution. And it's revolution by distractions and by disinformation. Marxist revolutionaries are using many ploys, but whether they're turning the classes against one another or the employers against the employees or the young versus the old or men versus women or black versus white or gay versus straight, these issues are never the real issue. The real issue is always Marxist revolution. You've got to lose more freedoms and the, the state the, the, will take more power. And destruction of the family, destruction of the economy, destruction of the culture, creating poor and hungry masses, easy to control and subjugate. That is the issue. The pretext they use may differ from revolution to revolution, but the goal remains the same. Destruction of the father, destruction of the family, destruction of our future by destroying our culture, destroying our economies, making us vulnerable and dependent on the state and, of course, the super state, the, the uh, European Union, the United Nations, African Union, whatever it is. So the scripture says in Psalm 103, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness is to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. So when God established his covenant with Abraham, he said, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. And they shall, they shall uh, remember for an everlasting covenant uh, to remember those 
who follow his covenant and who obey his words. You shall keep my command, you and your descendants after you through all generations. So uh, this, this is the word of God. Uh, the Bible tells us that God seeks godly offspring, Malachi 2 verse 15. And a father's instruction is to bring up his children in the training and the instruction of the Lord. We're to train a child in the ways to go. We're to bring up children in the love and the fear of the Lord. And uh, this is what they're trying to stop through Hollywood and through the state indoctrination gulags. Interesting that the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, begins with a blessing and ends with a curse. Repentance and faith in Christ will be seen in the restoration of family relationships. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest they come and strike the earth with a curse. That's the last words in Malachi, the last word, the last verse in the Old Testament. And therefore, when John the Baptist came, he was preaching, turning the hearts of the fathers back towards the children. In many ways, that's what Christ came to do. So when we look at what's going on, I think what makes sense of everything being done now, even the putting so many men out of work, whether by affirmative action or the lockdown, declaring so many people's occupation to be non-essential, what an audacity for a politician, which is about as non-essential as it comes. What do they produce, um, aside from corruption and, and complications? You dropped out there, Peter. Are you still with us? Yes, I'm still with you. Can you hear me now? Yeah, you're uh, back Andrew, now. Can you hear me? Yeah, you just said right. the uh, non-essential politicians, so please continue from yes. there. Yes. So imagine the audacity of these politicians to declare so many people's vocations and occupations as non-essential. And this is so demeaning. There's every attempt to break down the men, break down masculinity, break down the father, and the goal is to break down the whole family. And... Ultimately, the goal is to break down Christian civilization, Western civilization. And what do they want to replace it? Socialism, Marxism, New World Order, one world economic system, one world religious system, and a one world totalitarian government, which is exactly what Romans, what Revelation 13 warns us about, that the beast and Antichrist will seek to have a one world government with a one world economic system and a one world interfaith religious system. And so what's the biggest obstacle to this? Well, to be honest, Christian men, straight Christian men, Christian civilization, uh, the people of God, the people of the true Israel of God, who have always stood for faith and freedom through the ages. So I think this should just help us to understand a lot of what we are facing right now. We are involved in a war for fathers, the families, and the future. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And it's funny, um, I've got to do a bit of a mea culpa here. Now, yesterday's show with Robert Rayvolt, we'd just been getting the initial reports of this uh, shooting in Boulder, Colorado, and the footage that we saw looked like a white man. Um, and, of course, now it's been revealed to be a Muslim. But before that, I think you had Kamala Harris's niece coming out and, you know, criticising white people and what have you. They've all gone remarkably quiet since it was found to be a Muslim. The interesting thing is, is that if you do a search and you type in uh, mentally ill, boulder shooter, because that's what they're saying, they're all coming out saying, oh, you know, this guy, don't talk about him being a Muslim. He was mentally ill. But then if you look at Robert Aaron Long, who was uh, killed the uh, women and some other people at those Asian spas and what have you. Um, he's been called a white supremacist and uh, a, a, 
a Trump supporter and a Christian and all these different things because he's white. And so they don't look at whether this guy was mentally ill or not. He's immediately white and that is the demonization. And so you saw, you know, the, 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 the you know, the sort of trying to shut the door before the horse had bolted, whatever you want to say, the way in which uh, they dived onto the fact that uh, this shooting in Boulder, Colorado, looked to be done by a white man, so it's, oh, whites are evil. And as soon as it found out to be a Muslim, they come up with a different excuse to not blame the Muslim faith or anything like that. They don't attack the individual there or uh, the race he represents. They only attack the race someone represents if they're white. Does that make sense, Peter? It certainly makes sense if you're a Marxist, because this is what Herbert Marcuse and Antonio Gramsci came out with in the Frankfurt School of Marxism in the critical race theory, that in order to have revolution, particularly in America, they saw that they've got to do something else, because in Europe, there was the classes. They could put the upper classes and the lower classes pitted against one another and so on. But in, in America, what they saw as well, you can put race, because America's potentially the most multi-racial, multi-cultural country on, on the planet, certainly it is now, uh, but they saw the potential that they could bring a rift. So in the West, it's corrupt and conquer. And in America in particular, it's, it's confused, divide and conquer. And this is the strategy of the revolutionary. And when you confuse people, so of course, it's so important to guilt manipulate people that your biggest enemy feels uncertain of themselves and feels ashamed of themselves so that they are hesitating to defend themselves and their culture, their civilization, their country when under attack. So it, this is critical race theory. And so everything is identity politics and gender politics and so on. So if it's um, if a woman commits a crime, it's, it's a person. Uh, if a, a black commits a crime, it's a person. Uh, as you said, maybe mentally disturbed. If a Muslim jihadist commits it screaming Allah Akbar, uh, uh, it's it's a person, but a mentally disturbed person. But if a white male or Christian does something, then it is this white supremacist, this evil male with toxic masculinity, and uh, uh, this straight white male is original sin. So understanding the ideology behind critical race theory and the Black Lives Matter group and so on is, is when you get down to it, all sin boiled down comes down to white, straight, Christian male. That is the ultimate sin. Now, if you are white, straight, Christian male, you've got four strikes against you, you you're as evil as comes. But if you're a black male, who's straight and Christian, there's three things against you. Uh, and so it goes on. If you're a white female who's straight and who's Christian, well, you've got three strikes against you and, and so on. So you can see that you and I being white, straight, Christian males, that's the ultimate evil in the eyes of the New World Order. Because traditionally, while sadly many of our people have drifted from the faith of our fathers, but traditionally it's white, straight, Christian males who built civilization and to end the slave trade, and to create the freest, most prosperous societies, economies, and nations on the planet. And uh, that is what socialists and Marxists hate and want to destroy. They perceive us as the greatest threat, because it's white, straight Christian males like Professor Martin Luther, who said, my conscience is kept to the word of God, or give me liberty or give me death, uh, as uh, Thomas Henry gave, or, or whether you are the ones who stand up and uh, uh, say that um, uh, no taxation without representation. The thing is, it's the white straight Christian males have been the biggest resistance to Marxism and to the revolution. And that's why we're their biggest targets. But I think it's also because 
of the fatherhood of God and because of the people whom God has chosen and used through the ages, there is the satanic demonic hatred for white, straight Christian males. Back to you, Andrew. Yes, that's very, very true and very well put. And it's just astonishing how it's been allowed to get this way. But unfortunately, it's like we always come back to in the book of Deuteronomy, where you're told that uh, if you follow the laws, you'll get the blessings. But if you turn from God, you will get the cursings. And unfortunately, as Peter so often says, God judges nations. And that is why the most heretical nations today are the ones that are suffering the most. If you look at um, what... uh, Peter speaks a lot about communism I'll hand back to him in a moment and you look at what they went through you look at the food shortages and things like that because they all turned from God and now you look at these nations now and how prosperous a nation like Russia is because they've turned back to God and they're going back to Christianity and what have you so it's very clear what we have to do the frustration that we have Peter, myself and the majority of you listening is we are trying to be good Christians but unfortunately we're in a nation that is not and I'm as Peter says God judges nations and so we're having to suffer along with that what would be your advice Peter to people who feel like that that they're doing their best to be a good Christian but they're suffering from God's wrath being in a nation that is under God's judgment well yes so you have these examples in scripture of of Ezra and Nehemiah Ezra 9 Nehemiah 9 you read the vicarious prayers there their prayers where they repent on behalf of the sins of the nation. Now, they repent for sins that they personally were not responsible for, like um, intermarrying with the nations around them, uh, compromising the faith and and Sabbath-breaking and so on, which, of course, neither Ezra nor Nehemiah were guilty of. But they they repent on behalf of the nation for this because they feel uh, so grieved as, as to what they see around them. And, and it's so important that we see ourselves as answerable to God and that we try to be faithful in the middle of a faithless generation, that we seek to be true to God in a time of apostasy and in this time of ignorance that we have knowledge and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and beginning of wisdom. So uh, there's some very interesting perspectives on what we're dealing with from the scripture. The Bible says envy rots the bones and it speaks about the ruthless mockers who have an eye for evil. Isaiah 29, 20. Isn't that describing so much of what we see? They have an eye for evil and they're, they're ruthless mockers who, the moment, yeah, as, as they, they jump to this and, ah, this white male. I remember being up in America when there was a, 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 a bombing attempt in Times Square, New York. And immediately, I think this was uh, 2010, and there was immediately that they suspected uh, uh, white militia, white supremacists, and so on and so forth. When it turned out to be a Muslim, they were awfully disappointed. And uh, how many times have we come across that sort of thing? Uh, When the St. James Church massacre took place in South Africa back in 1993, the first reports were white supremacists had attacked a black church, when it turned out to be the exact opposite. It was, uh, in fact, black communists who had attacked a white Christian church uh, and and massacred people in in St. James. So uh, there's those who have an eye for evil. And then the Bible says, uh, our Lord Jesus says in John 7, 7, the world hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. And John 15, 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. And that's so important. Why are we hated so much? Well, maybe because of God's grace on our people, because of God's grace on our forefathers, because of God's choosing of us at this time. And so uh, the world hates us 
if we are true to Christ or if we try to be true to Christ, even if we are very weak uh, and inconsistent, there's still this hatred. And as has been said uh, earlier by you, that a nation in apostasy and backsliding and turning away from God is still hated by Satan because of what good it did do at one time and which it stands for. And that's why they, they hate the cathedrals, which point to God, the greatest architectural masterpiece in, in history. They hate Handel's Messiah and all the the great arc, um, um, musical accomplishments on the great art. And that's why you've got this cancel culture attempt right now. Cancel cultures attempt to cancel Christian culture. They don't want to cancel pagan culture, <laughs> communist culture, Islamic culture. They want to cancel Christian culture. That's what they really mean. And the scripture says anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know no murderer has eternal life in him. And so there's a lot of bullying going on at the moment. And the fear of man will prove to be a snare. We commanded, do not be afraid of any person. And bear in mind, God hates cowards. Uh, Revelation 21.8 says, on the last day of judgment, but the cowardly will have their place in the lake of fire, which burns forever and ever. The lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So Revelation 21 verse 8 gives a list of eight categories of people that God will condemn into hell forever. And the first of his list is cowards. Cowards top the list of those that God hates. And the, to be a coward at a time of crisis is unforgivable. We must be brave and bold, and we must stand. And, and I think this year, as we have the 500th anniversary of Professor Martin Luther's bold stand before the emperor, here I stand. I can do no other. My conscience is kept the word of God. This is what we need. We need to get back to having such a bold conscience that we can uh, stand in front of all the political and ecclesiastical power of the world and say, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. And uh, uh, that's the stand Luther made back in 1521, the 18th of April. And uh, so we are planning a major Reformation celebration and a conference on the 17th and 18th of, of April this year to mark that 500th anniversary. We need to get back to what made the West so great and powerful. And uh, let's face it, it's drifting away from God's word and becoming cowards who do compromise that has led to the catastrophe that we see all around us now. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And we can certainly do a show on that 500th anniversary as well, if you would like. Um, but before yes. uh, we get into the, I, I'd like to, we've got about 10 minutes left. And uh, I know you've been up to some interesting things over the last couple of weeks. I think that the audience would be interested to hear about. But you talked about uh, how upset they are when they find a, a, a terrorist was not white well they even go further than that if we go back to general ben partin your good friend and i just typed his name into webcrawler.com and right at the top of the results i'm pleased to say frontlinemissionsa.org and that's your tribute to brigadier general benton kirk partin the reason i bring his name up is that even when they've got a situation where it's not white people that have done something then they'll blame it on them uh as per the Oklahoma City bombing that he investigated so well. Would you agree, Peter? Yes. Now, there's a good classic example. They had a nice narrative, uh, which was a white, homeschooled, straight male uh, who is um, a special forces background a soldier who actually had an exemplary record, had never done anything wrong and never been in trouble with the law, that he's, he's the patsy. He is the um, sort of... Um, uh, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald of this Oklahoma bombing that they pinned it all on, obviously not guilty. And uh, General Ben Parton 
top scientist, uh, United States Air Force scientist, who developed some of the most advanced modern weaponry, including uh, laser precision-guided weapons and so on, uh, that he documented that scientifically it was absolutely impossible for that truck bomb uh, to have brought down the pillars that uh, caused the deaths at the Oklahoma City bombing. And he showed that this could have only been done by a plastic C4 explosive directly attached to the pillars of the uh, um Oh, you've uh, gone quiet again, Peter. I think he'll be coming back now. Yeah, I think you're back. Yes. Uh, so, you you got to talking right, uh, about the, the the bomb by the pillars. So uh, please continue. Yes, so so it's been well documented. Uh, a noble lie is one excellent video you can see online, and of course we document in our presentation and show that we did on on General Ben Parton. That there's no doubt that Oklahoma City was an own goal, a false flag operation organized by the U.S. government itself, and they used it. Clinton's administration used it to demonize white homeschoolers, and particularly Christian males. In fact, straight afterwards, immediately after the, the bombing, before any forensics had been done, uh, there was Bill Clinton, president of the US at the time, blaming James Dobson of Focus on the Family and uh, Christian um, homeschoolers for uh, being the ones responsible for the Oklahoma bombing. And although the bombing is meant to have been done with a bomb, uh, yet uh, his solution was to um, bring in new gun laws to limit the opportunities of people to have weapons of self-defense. So plainly, the moment you just scratch under the official narrative, you find that the reality is almost the exact opposite of what the lamestream media, the Bolshevik Broadcasting Corporation and the Clinton News Network are actually saying. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Now, folks, you're probably uh, aware that Peter's been away for a couple of weeks. We were happy to have uh, Nick Griffin to step in. Um, great to have Peter back. But I was going to hand over now in the last few minutes of the show to uh, let the audience know uh, wait, what you've been up to. You've had quite a time of it, haven't you, Peter? Uh, yes, I have. I've been in the eastern Transvaal in Pumalunga uh, at a, a Bible college, back to the Bible uh, colleges, a um, mission that's quite unique. They they offer a three-year program training pastors, chaplains, and evangelists uh, from all over Africa. They've got representatives of at least 20 countries of Africa any time. They've had over 30 countries in Africa represented over the years. Uh, it's been going for over 30 years. And so we uh, have been involved since the earliest days, since 31 years ago. We uh, provide the first full-time worker for this college for the first year. Uh, and uh, uh, I've been on their faculty as a guest lecturer for the last 14 years, since 2007, going every year uh, to lecture on uh, either missions or church history in particular and other areas as well. So this uh, last two weeks, I was lecturing on Reformation church history, but also setting up their library. Now, this Back to the Bible College, there's over 130 people on, on the campus of this uh, nine hectare uh, facility in the middle of the wilderness. It's it's surrounded by mountains and green uh, jungle and uh, monkeys scurry through the place. There's snakes all over the place. They tell you not to open your windows because snakes will come in. Uh, all kinds of wildlife there at any moment and time. Hippos and crocodiles in the river next, uh, flowing past. And uh, regularly, the low bridge that goes over the river is um, flooded and, and you're stuck and somebody spotted a crocodile on top of the bridge. Uh, that was the only way in and out of the valley uh, just a short while before we got there. And so that this is a very remote, wild place, and it's run by General 
Shai Mulder, who was chief of the engineers and once uh, the um, commanding officer of the military academy in South African Saldana, which is like West Point or Sandhurst, uh, training the, the officers of South African Defense Force. Uh, he's the youngest brigadier general in South African military history and uh, a veteran of Bridge uh, 14, his head of the engineers and um, uh, an extraordinary man. So after 34 years of being a soldier in South African Army, he, uh, when most people had retired age 60, he went full-time into Remnant's Bible College and he's, he's always known as a fine Christian in the South African Army and uh, a very principled man. And uh, now he, he says everything he did in his life before was just preparation for this uh, Bible College and it's very strategic training uh, people who really know the Word of God goes through every book in the Bible, and I'm able to deal with everything from biblical worldview. Uh, I've dedicated some of my books, like New Testament Survey, to uh, General Mulder and, and his work in Back to the Bible College. So that's where I've been the last two weeks. And amongst the responsibilities I had and challenges was to organise the library. Now they had, they thought about a 12,000 book library. We found it was a more than 15,000 a book library. In fact, um, if you add the journals and audiovisual, it's way past uh, uh, 20,000 mark. So uh, this library didn't exist. It was uh, really in a very inadequate, what they call a bookstore. And uh, now they were able to, to give a decent facility to it, a very large, what used to be their chapel, and uh, to turn this into a library. And so it was my task uh, and challenge to, to do that. And uh, in the first week, I put my full attention into the library, and second week into the uh, Reformation Church history. And working overtime, we managed to get this library ready for the dedication. The last Friday is there, just last week, and visitors came from far and wide. And what a tremendous privilege to have this library up and running, uh, because libraries are armories. They're sanctuaries for serious systematic study, and libraries are like gymnasiums for the mind, um, it's uh, just like reading uh, is to, for the mind what exercises to the body is. The gym stretches your muscles so the library can stretch your mind. And uh, This library, I must say, going through it was very exciting because there's first editions of Andrew Murray, of, of Spurgeon's sermons, and uh, we've got beautiful old commentaries of Calvin's commentaries and Luther's works. And, and in this age of ignorance and superficiality, we need libraries equipped with the old, tried, tested, battle-proven, faithful works of dedicated missionaries and ministers and reformers before the politically correct rewriting of history and cancel culture. So I um, am very excited about establishing libraries all over Africa. My first work in missions, going back beginning of 1979, before I even went to army, was to sort out the Library of Hospital Christian Fellowship. And uh, I uh, thoroughly enjoyed doing that. And we donate from our mission every year something in the region of 100 tons of Bibles and books throughout Africa, providing libraries for pastors, books for college libraries, school libraries, prison libraries, hospital libraries, and uh, trying to uh, get colleges and mission bases to have good, strong uh, libraries of selected, uh, recommended resources, uh, which uh, can enable them to get a free education to improve themselves. Because as Jan Hus said, Truth conquers, and truth does not fear investigation. So uh, in this digital age, I think it's great to still get back to some of the old tried and tested, many books of which have not yet been digitized. And I'd like to see far more of these great works of the politically incorrect um, 
uh, before the age of abridged censorship and all that nonsense, um, to get people to study the books that were written by people who built civilization, rather than these days, the media that's trying to break down civilization. So back to you, Andrew. Thank you very much, Peter. And yeah, that's very important, folks. Um, We know that they're cancelling all these different things. They're closing different things down. If you can think of certain books that uh, are deemed politically incorrect, you can still generally, if you use a a, a more unbiased search engine, so not a Google or what have you, it might still come up on there, I don't know. But, for example, I've got Henry Ford's The International Juries up on archive.org, and every time I do a show on that with Frederick uh, C. Blackburn and Golden Pipe Wrench, then it has the link in there. But you need to go out and you need to make a list of books that you want to get and try and get these digital copies these pdfs have a look at them because some of them are not as good as others make sure you get a good one and then save it and keep it because it might not be around next week that's so important so peter um we are pretty much out of time but before we go can you just let the audience know where they can contact you and where they can find your work thank you so much andrew Yes, um, Frontlinemissionsa.org is the website. And if people want to write to me personally, it's peter at frontline.org.za or peter, dot, uh, peter at frontline.org.za, as the Americans would say, or za, as we say. So uh, we're also on Facebook, uh, Frontline Fellowship, and me, Peter Hammond, as well. And love to hear from more of the listeners. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you for standing strong and for being resilient in fighting the new world order. Thank you so much, Peter, for all that you do. It's wonderful and a delight to have you on as a weekly guest. Folks, you have been listening to the real story of the war against fathers, families and the future. I want to thank all of you for listening. Have a wonderful day. I'll be back with you all tomorrow. And until then, folks, bye for now.